0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton, a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a play-by-play broadcaster in baseball. And in today's episode, we have an awesome interview with Quint Studer, the owner of the Marlins AA affiliate, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, as well as the High A affiliate, the Beloit Snappers in Wisconsin. Just an awesome conversation with a really impressive man from what he's done outside of the world of baseball, and then eventually leading into his ownership of multiple minor league franchises, some crazy wheeling and dealing he had to do to eventually purchase the Pensacola Blue Wahoos and have that team in Pensacola. It's a really cool story, but also the background on Mr. Studer's life is incredibly impressive, and I think you'll come away from this interview having learned something about life and about baseball and Marlins baseball as well, and you'll be geared up to attend a Blue Wahoos or Snappers game. Typically, I split these interviews into two parts, but it just has such a nice flow to it that I figured we'll just go long version and just have an extended episode today because it just is such a unique interview that flows really well. So we'll just have it all in one listen. Of course, you can break it up however you want, A reminder that this episode with Quint Studer is brought to you by Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors. You got six brand new ones. They are all covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet. They're low in sugar, low in fat, low in carbs, high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? And best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order. Also brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need. For any make or model, you order it on their website, they ship it straight to your door. The chain stores and the car dealerships, they're gonna cost you more They're not going to look out for you. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. They've got your back. They're the best deal in town, and they're in town everywhere because they'll ship it to your door. It's that easy. Go to RockAuto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About A Section? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. So without further ado... Here is the interview with Marlins single-A and double-A affiliate owner, Quint Studer. And I'm joined by a man of many hats, of course, now the Pensacola Blue owner, which is the double-A affiliate for the Marlins. But that doesn't do you justice, Mr. Studer. You've done quite a few things as well. You're an entrepreneur, a public speaker. You've been in the healthcare industry for a long time, even a teacher as well. I don't even know where to start. We were joking about that before we got started here, but a little bit more on your background before we get into the baseball side of things, because you really have such an impressive background. And, uh, can you talk a little bit about just everything that's led up to your career now going into baseball and how you got into the healthcare industry? But first of all, of course, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on here and talk to us.
1: No, Aaron, thank you so much for the opportunity. and. um, um You know, I find when people say I'll be brief, they're not brief. So we'll see what happens here. But um, I I started out as a special education teacher. I went to the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. I grew up outside Chicago. In my first 10 years of life, I taught special education, and I really liked it. Um, You know, you diagnose a child, you set lofty goals, you coordinate, and so on. And then when I was about 31 years old, I just hit a, a time in my life where I just crashed. Um, I had to deal with an alcoholism issue. I'm now 30 plus, eight years plus in sobriety. And um, who would have thought it? But I I used to go to 12-step meetings. I still do. But there I went to a a treatment center. And one day I noticed the treatment center was looking for someone in community relations. And because of my own recovery, I had started a student assistance program in all the schools for kids whose parents might be having problems and need confidential advice. And um, so I got this job as community relations. And one of the things you did is you called on um, businesses who had people in treatment. And I got to know human resource workers. And one day at Mercy Hospital in Janesville, heading the director of hum- human resources said, we have a job and director of marketing and you do a good job for the treatment center. Would you like to come to the hospital? And I was really excited about that because, you know, if you do great things with people with addictions, think what you can do with cancer and all these other things. So I went there. Um, I, I, I really became teachable. I think through my own crash, I had a moment of clarity and I became a very teachable human being um, and I became a good student, something I hadn't been probably when I should have been in school. And um, so I started learning about healthcare, and I got promoted to have director of planning and marketing, then VP of planning and marketing, and then senior vice president, business development for the system. So it was pretty neat to have that deal. Um, My CEO was about my age. So for me to go to the next level, I knew I had to relocate just like you were talking about, you know, when you're young in a career, you're going to go where the job is. I ended up going down to Chicago as the chief operating officer of an inner city hospital, which is more of a safety net hospital, which was great. Cause when you have no money, you get very creative. And and we did some neat things. and became um, got a lot of awards for a great hospital fortune magazine did an article on us got us some publicity which led to a sort of like coaches you know they look for good assistant coaches to promote the head coach yeah and i guess i was a good assistant coach so i got promoted to the head coaching job in baptist and pensacola where i was president started implementing many of the same things which is truly making it a great place for people to work that's my number one philosophy Number one goal all the time is make it a great place for people to work. Then you can get to the other steps and I got a lot of publicity. I started my own company and it took off. I started it with me, my wife and a secretary. And when I sold it, it was uh, 250 employees and worked with most healthcare organizations in the country. And in the meantime, I did some not for, pro- I started a not for profit to help children's brains get developed because the brain 85% by age three, and that has been really neat. And then um, one day in 2002, I read in the newspaper that um, we were getting a minor league baseball team here in Pensacola, and that sort of got me into baseball.
0: And there's just so many things that go into that as well, which I'm excited to talk about, but real quick too, because you talk about how important it is to have your employees be happy and whether that's an organization where you want your players to be happy and have that cohesiveness in the clubhouse. Something that stood out to me was the fact that you had your employee turnover drop by 18% from uh, Baptist when you were there and also satisfaction when you were in Chicago from uh visitors or, or those or patients in the hospital went from 3% to 73%. It what do, what do you attribute months. to that?
1: How well, do we you- ended up actually being top percentile in both places, Baptist and Holy Cross. And we actually dropped it a lot lower, I think, um, than even the 18%. I'm a big, I'm a big measurement person. And I, I find, Aaron, and this is pretty common, people will make a statement and they believe it. You know, we have great employees, our employees are happy. But then you say, well, do you measure it? Well, I talk to them. Well, you gotta measure it. So <clears throat> I've always been fortunate to work in healthcare organizations that used outside companies to measure employee engagement. So I believe you do that in baseball. So like, we have a company out of Atlanta that I've known for years and we measure employee engagement twice. We measure it in October for our full-time employees and then in July for full-time and seasonal employees, because I want those seasonal I, don't wanna, I want those seasonal employees to be really, really happy. And, and then you know it's an open book test. It sort of tells you what employees are looking for. And then our supervisors, actually a big part of their evaluation is based on employee engagement. It was really adjustment when I first started the Wahoos, because I hired somebody from um, a baseball organization. And he was never had an evaluation tool. So for him, the first year, 30% of his evaluation was based on employee satisfaction. 30% of his evaluation was based on um, sponsor satisfaction. 30% of his evaluation was on fan experience, and 10% of his evaluation was on bottom line. Now people might say, well, why bottom line so low? Because I think if you have happy employees, happy sponsors, happy fans, you end up with the financial um, results that you would want. So, yeah, I've just always been really focused, which leads me to the next thing, Aaron, is when you look at that, then you've got to make sure you invest in your supervisors. So if you talk to anyone that's worked for any of my organizations, they get a lot of training, a lot of development. And it's really cool, particularly in baseball, because we've got so many young people. So, you know, every 90 days, you go away for two days for training, but then you do all sorts of things in between. Because the number one way to create great employee engagement is to make sure you have great supervisors and great managers. So we invest heavily in that.
0: And it clearly paid dividends with the Blue Wahoos as well, because uh, It's a very decorated organization. I read and I I want to make sure this is correct because it's a pretty cool and unique uh, statistic, I guess would be the word to describe it. But the Blue Wahoos were named or the only team to ever have an award in basically every facet possible. Baseball America's organization of the year, Ballpark Digest park of the year, MiLB best overall, Golden Bobblehead in the single calendar year. The only organization to win all of those in the same year. So it seems like that same mentality that works in the healthcare industry, it spilled over into baseball and so I wanted to talk about Starting with just that, how you think the Blue Wahoos, you kind of touched on it, but in a more baseball standpoint now, too, what separates the Blue Wahoos organization in Pensacola there? And how are you able to be recognized as such an incredible organization? And then I want to get into the craziness that was acquiring that organization, because the backstory is amazing.
1: Well, I, I, th- I don't—I think all baseball tries to run well, so I don't know if we differentiate ourselves from anyone Cause I really don't know. I don't see the measurement of other teams, but I think, you know, I meet a lot of, I've met a lot of baseball people in the past and I think they're as committed to everything I talked about as we, am. we might be a little more on the measurement side than most than um, cause we just got to have data. So I, I think what we've tried to do in Pensacola is first, our mission statement never mentions baseball. Our mission statement says our goal is to improve the quality of life for people in the community. Um, and so once you look at that, you broaden yourself up a little bit. And it also really grabs the hearts of our workforce because our workforce likes the fact, um, for example, my wife and I fund the quality of life survey done in our area every year. And we just did our end of the year reviews for all our people. One of the things that came up over and over again is how proud they were of working for an organization that measures quality of life in the community, particularly young people. You know, y- young people today aren't like yourself. They want to do a greater good. They want to work for a company that does more than just, um, you know, the the transactional product. So we really try to connect like like everybody, not only to baseball and make that awful special, but we also want to just be a good community citizen. So, you know, that's why we did the Airbnb. How cool is it for people to come um stay in the, in the, in the park. Now we have people from 26 States, but we've also donated that to our local hospice program. So pe- when they have a child who's lost a parent or a brother or sister, we, the family comes and stays in the Airbnb for free. Oh, wow. We just um, used it for 40, um, 40 really a lot of kids from low income areas that had a lot of things canceled this year. So they're using the, the stadium. So we really try to reach out and create these, these great experiences um, for people. And I think our employees like it. So when we decided not to lay off anyone this year, we kept all our employees. One thing we told them is, you're going to have to, though, do other things. And we, we sort of wanted to be like the Peace Corps of Pensacola. So we started loaning our employees out to organizations, whether it's cleaning up a gravesite, whether it's after Hurricane Sally, fixing things where it's where they're going to a you know a food bank um we just want to keep people active and then we want to keep people um you know in this covid we wanted to keep people hopeful and so that that's we are just mission statements to make life better for other people and that's why we connect to what we can do in a ballpark you know a ballpark you can create unbelievable experiences for people that they can sit and they can relax they can enjoy themselves they can um just do wonderful things. One of the most powerful letters I ever got um, was I got a letter from a gentleman. We, we do a thing at our ballpark with Rally, which is children cancer, where families that have lost someone, a child once a year from all areas meet and t- go through what's that like for them. And they they meet at the stadium. We've always hosted it. And, um, but we, we're not there, you know, it's a pretty private situation. Well, I got a letter from a fellow with a picture of his three-year-old daughter sitting in a, at a Blue Wahoo game, holding up that, you know, Velcro-type number one finger with Blue Wahoos on it. And he said that she passed away. She was three. And he said but one of the real delights she had was sitting at a Blue Wahoo right. game. And that's really what we try to do. We try to create those experiences. Um, so memorable experiences that people – a fellow told me that when his father died – and one of the things he had is a, a autograph baseball next to his, you know, next to his bed. So that's the type of things we're trying to create. But we're also trying to create just great experiences for our employees. So when they go out from here, they can say, hey, here's where I used to work. Here's where I spent my time. For those that move. And then of course for those that stay, we want to create a good career path for them.
0: And that is one of the most amazing things about when you move that team over to Pensacola, what it did for the downtown area and how it, I know it was a big uh, focus for you was to have that kind of be the catalyst of revitalizing the downtown area and helping the town and helping the area. And and that's what's so amazing is it seems like you've used this organization to be that center point where you can just start to help people in so many different ways. And that's kind of that center point where you can find the ways to do that and use it in so many different methods. Real quick about the Airbnb, because I remember reading that story, and it's just so funny how things work in life where I'm reading that story and thinking, wow, that is really cool. I wonder if, if I could get my mom and, and like a few friends to pull some money together and do it. Fast forward about six months later, and now I'm fortunate enough to have you on the podcast. But how did that idea come about? And I didn't realize you were using it in, in you know more philanthropic ways as well. what was the whole idea behind that? How did that happen? And did anybody tell you like, that's crazy? Or did you just go all in and and it worked out? Because obviously and evidently, it was a fantastic idea.
1: Well, I'm not, let's say, an idea person, but I'm good at spotting ideas. And my wife, Rishi, and my oldest, not oldest, my daughter, Mallory, our youngest daughter, who was living with us at the time, we were talking about it. And we were just sitting there talking about there's no baseball. And she said, why don't you turn the locker room to an Airbnb? And I said, do you think we could do that? And she quickly went online to like Airbnb and looked up stuff and said, I don't see why not. Um, I was so excited about it that when I first brought it up, of course, you know, it's very common and sort of healthy for people to question some ideas. Of course. So the first thought was, well, we might not be able to get insurance. I said, I don't care. I'm so excited about this thing. I'll self-insure this thing if I have to. Um, we did ended up getting insurance for it. And then you got to move quick. And you know, we got our beds, we got um, the beds in, we got the everything in and we just announced it. And I bet you from the time we had the idea till we announced it, there was probably two weeks max. And then it just took off. I think we had 77,000 people hit our website. Um, We got real lucky because Bubba Watson was our first guest to stay in it. ESPN ESPN interviewed Bubba from home plate um, after the first morning of the Airbnb. And I think we had 77,000 hits to our website after that. And um, gosh, every news, every sports. I remember CBS morning show said, this is the coolest story we've ever done. Um, Today show had a special on the Airbnb and we had 1.68 million people watch it that day. So it's, it's been one of those great things. And um, for us, and, and when going back to your first thought, Aaron, when, when I don't think a stadium's the panacea for everybody. I think it depends on the location and what's happening in the community. I, I think for our community, and like many communities, the neighborhoods aren't there, you know, people stay inside. That, you know air conditioning is great, but the downside is people don't go outside anymore in yeah. the neighborhood. And what we wanted to create in our downtown stadium was the main street, the neighborhood that when you're walking along the concourse, it's the boardwalk. It's the main street you used to walk in. So I think we've really, really worked hard at um, doing that. And so that's what it's done and and we really have great statistics. We have you know thirty four percent, Assessed property value has gone up, 67% private investment. Palafox, which is pretty much an empty street 10 years ago, American Planning Association named it one of the 10 best streets in America. We're the 17th best place to start a business. So we just saw the stadium as a bookend because one of the things research shows, if you want to keep talent, our whole goal in our town is talent. Whoever keeps their talent home and gets their attracts their talent back wins. And when we looked at what is young what do young people want, well, well two things they want is opportunity, but the second thing they want is a cool place to be. Yeah. And so so and, and what's a, they, a downtown is important to them. So our whole goal was our goal was not to create a great downtown. Our goal was to keep talent home and get talent back. Downtown for us is a is a tactic. And certainly the stadium, has been a great bookend for this community, and many people—not me, but many, many people—will say it was probably the catalyst that really drove um, a lot of what's the good work that's going on in Pensacola right now.
0: And I've seen a lot of people that would would say the same thing and echo that same sentiment. But let's talk about how you got that team to Pensacola because it was one of the more complex deals I've seen in general but especially with just a baseball organization and a minor league organization can you give a little bit of the background of all the wheeling and dealing i would summarize it but i don't even think i would properly do it and go through all the steps in order how did that all happen and what was the whole process like to get that team to pensacola it must have felt great once you were finally done
1: well, I think so. And I think it's there's always a good news, bad news thing, because when you move a team out of a city, then the bad news is one city gains and one city loses. And that's why I think what Major League Baseball is doing with minor league baseball is to sort of make sure any of those moves make a lot of sense besides somebody making money because it make sense for the community. And so we have a, an independent team. Um, I'd always heard that we Mobile Bay Berries owned the territorial rights to Escambia County, Florida, which they did, which was unusual because they owned a, a county that mobile's in they owned the county next door, which was Baldwin County, and they owned a County. So they went a little farther than most territorial rights. Oh, um, but people thought Pensacola was never going to do anything anyway. So what the heck we might as well give them the, the County. And, um, So we had Mobile Bay Bears and I was excited for for them. And so I got this independent team and we're playing in Pensacola and we get the stadium going up. Our stadium was originally going to be built for the Pensacola Pelicans, an independent team. And about that time, Bruce Baldwin, who who was our consultant and ended up working for us, said, well, maybe we should go affiliated. And I said, we really can't go affiliated, Bruce, because uh, Mobile owns the territorial rights to Pensacola. And plus, we got to find a team. Well, I've learned a lot about there's a lot of brokers in baseball that are always sort of looking to move teams and sell teams and buy, you know, move transactions. So he he found a broker who sort of said to him that there's a team that we could get moved here. And it was in Zeblin, um, North Carolina, the Carolina Mudcats and so on. It didn't matter if we bought the Carolina Mudcats because we couldn't move them to Pensacola because of the territorial rights situation. So I went to Mobile. Their general motor, general manager and a small minority owner was Bill Shanahan. This is where you get lucky. Bill Shanahan's son is actually pitched for the Pensacola Pelicans one summer. And, and even though I wasn't out that aware of Bill, Bill liked the way we did things. <laughs> and he said, you know, um, we don't draw that many from Escambia County since you got the independent team, people usually just go to your games versus the Bay Bears. Um, so he took put me in touch with the owner of the Mobile Bay Bears. He said he would sell the territorial rights. And we ended up settling on $550,000, which at the time was the most ever paid to buy back, to buy territorial rights. So now I've got permission to move the territorial rights. We were in the American Association and Miles Wolf, who was the commissioner, was a first-class integrity guy. He knew what was going on. But he also, I had to pay them $300,000 to get out of the American Association. So now we're up to $850,000 yet, and we don't have the team. So we bought the Zeppelin team for $14.4 million, which I thought was a little hefty. But you sometimes to move a team, you, you pay a premium price. So I thought, well, okay, got the American Association taken care of. We've got Mobile Bay Bears taken care of. Now we've got the team bought. So it seems to be working. And then um, it came up that in the lease for Zeblin, they had an agreement that said, even though the AA team could move, they had to find an affiliated team to replace the AA team, but it didn't have to be AA. Well, Steve Bryant, who owned the Carolina Mudcats had worked out a deal with the team from Kingston, North Carolina, that to buy them, to move them to Zeblin. And then he said to me, Quint, the problem is I'm $2 million short. So for you to move the, for this all to work, I need another $2 million. So anyway, we gave him, we invested $2 million in minority ownership of a Kingston, North Carolina team that moved to then Zeblin. So I ended up with a piece of a team in the Carolina Mudcats, the Blue Wahoos, paid the American association to get out of the, and it was fair, to get out of the agreement that was in the contract. And then um, bought the naming rights, or excuse me, the territorial rights back for the Bay Bear. So all these things too, Aaron, was really weird because they had certain lease requirements. I mean, all these things that almost had to happen within like a 72-hour period, all these things had to fly. And that doesn't count such things as legal fees and some of those things. So yeah, it was complex, and one of those things you didn't know if it was going to happen until right at the end when the Kings – if it wasn't for the Kingston deal, none of this would have happened.
0: And that's the wild thing is people don't realize how many moving parts there are to just being able to get a team – where you want it to be because of all of these little stipulations and you have like the, the zoning thing. Even I had no idea that that would play a factor as well. And you wanted to make sure, of course, that was a part of the deal to keep a team in Carolina, which way back was also a Marlins affiliate. But I wanted to talk about the switch over now to the Marlins organization, because I know this whole process was pretty wild with major league baseball, just kind of, changing the way everything was done with affiliates and now you switch over to the marlins organization which actually has as much minor league talent as any farm system in all of baseball are you excited about that idea of having some really really good young players coming through potentially now in this upcoming season and what was that whole process like switching over now to a new organization with this entire mlb initiative
1: Well, I think it made sense. I mean, I understand. Um, I knew Dan Jennings extremely well from Dan from the Marlins. You know, he's a mobile person. He's I know Dan very well. And Dan, the Miami always sort of liked the idea of Pensacola, and they like Jacksonville too, but um, it doesn't work that way sometimes. What's available, what's not available, and and so on. So when they started talking about what major league baseball was trying to accomplish and the fact that we heard Jacksonville would go to triple a, we just assumed we'd end up with the Marlins and that's what we were, you know, that, you know, I get all my information from like ballpark baseball, America ballpark digest and things like that. And um, we love the twins. We like the reds and we like the twins a lot, but we are team players. And when Morgan Sward um, who's uh, with major league baseball does a great job, Called me and said, Quint, um, we're going to make sense for us to put the Twins in Wichita. They're going to be in St. Paul. Um, and it makes sense for you to be with the Marlins. I said, that's great because we said we'd be team players from the start. I don't get as gung ho arum about who's here, who isn't here for players. Because, you know, I, I tell people my fans, my, my customers are sitting, my superstars are sitting in the seats. They're called our fans. That's where I want to focus. Um, and, you know, if you get too much caught up in your talent and winning and losing that, you know, I think that's what Major League Baseball has now got caught up in. It's almost like if you don't win, the fans don't want to come out. I think we've created something pretty cool in minor league baseball. You know, we've drawn over 300,000 fans every year. And we've at one time out of 160 teams had the 159th record for two, you know, one losses over a two year period. So I think it's nice to have exciting players. We had Miguel Rojas here when he was with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. We had Diaz here when he was with, um, you know, the, the Twins. And so, so it's nice to have these players. But remember, they only probably stay. The real true prospects might be with you a year and, and maybe half a year. And so we don't get too caught up on that. Now, I will tell you, there are our real core fans that do. And certainly some of our, our people like in the media, like Daniel Venn and Bill Velona, who's in our media, they get very excited about who's coming. Um, but for me, it, it, I don't want to wrap myself around talent because, you know, if the Marlins continue to improve and win, then their draft picks will continue to get worse. So while they're going through a nice swing now in four or five years, it might be a whole different ballgame. So we sort of understand that
0: it's a good point there because it's, it's really control the controllable in that type of situation. And like you mentioned, that's, that's the unique thing with the minor league organizations, right? Is that you can't make trades. You can't control who's on the field for you and who's not. So it's really just how it works and you can only control that ballpark environment, which is really interesting, but the, other unique thing about your situation ownership wise is that you also own the Marlins High A affiliate, which is now in Beloit, Wisconsin. So you will have players going from one of your affiliates to another, which you'll, you'll have, I guess, a lot more familiarity with, with names and all that stuff, which is kind of cool to have that continuity for those players. What was the whole process of Beloit as well? Because that's not that close to Pensacola. How'd you get involved with Beloit and, the Marlins had so long been in the Florida State League for high A ball. You know, what, what ultimately shifted them that way? And do you have any idea of, of what that whole process was like? Because generally speaking here, as someone who covers the minor leagues, it was a process that was kind of in the dark where we didn't really totally know how this whole situation was going to go down. And it seemed like that was pretty common across the board where it was a very uh, unique type of circumstance for everybody involved.
1: I think it's a very emotional circumstance. I think the, the switch from high A to low A made all the sense in the world because didn't make much sense for a person to go low A in Beloit, then go high A in Jupiter. I mean, why not make it so it fits where low, out of spring training the low A just stays right there and then you go, so so then high A. So that makes sense. Um, On Beloit, Beloit, I have, um, I, I spent a lot of years in the Janesville Beloit area. That's where I was a teacher. That's where I worked in drug and alcohol treatment. That's where I ended up in recovery. That's where I worked in my first hospital job. I have two children and six grandchildren that live in um, Chainsville area. Um, when I was working in education, Beloit was one the school districts and Beloit Turner, one of the school districts I served in special education. So I've always had a connection to Rock County that's been pretty, pretty strong. When Jamesville was going through a downtown revitalization, my wife and I, people come to Pensacola from Jamesville and they'd say, why don't you do something in Jamesville? So we actually opened up a number of shops in downtown Jamesville and so on. And about four years ago, Pat O'Connor, of minor league baseball called me and said, you know, we've really got to do something in Beloit. Um, you run a really good operation and you've been able to get a stadium built. We'd love to have you be involved in Beloit. Um, I called Dennis Connerton, who's the managing partner of the not-for-profit board. And the timing just wasn't right. So I just said, okay, you know, I gave it my best and I went back to Pensacola. Then maybe a year and a half ago, um, Dennis called me and said, you know, we, we'd we like to get, get, get you back at the table. And I said, sure. Um, and we talked about what it would take and you know, I, I said, you know, I don't buy teams to sell them. So the value of a baseball team is really when you sell it, you're not big cash flow animals. So I said, um, we, we talked and Scott Scarapella, who was the attorney, did a great job. But um, We had to get a stadium and it, it was pretty bleak because they knew they had no public money for a stadium. So the hope the, the was Diane Hendricks, who's a patriot, a great, great lady who's Old well, ABC supply company, her and her, de- now Ken is deceased, have done unbelievably great things in the Beloit community because she loves Beloit, from entrepreneurship to a new Y, to hotels, to restaurants, and so on. So they, and I know, knew of Diane. We had mutual friends, but I never met her. And um, so they said, would you have dinner with Diane? Because they'd been pitching her on helping build a stadium. My, my wife and I went to Beloit. We went out with her and some of her people. And um, it, it was an interesting dinner. She loves Beloit so much, but we she couldn't really see the, the, she kept judging Beloit on Pullman Field and the old team. Same thing here in Pensacola. We had, you know we had a referendum to keep us from having a stadium downtown because people pictured us. We played in a, a, a college ballpark, much like Pullman Field. And people couldn't imagine this stadium being successful. People would write letters to the editor. I was at the ball game yesterday. There were 512 people. How are they ever going to fill a downtown stadium? So, so it's a, I, I could relate to it. So I did a video for Diane, 15 minutes um, video on who, who my wife and I were. So she'd get to know us before dinner. We had dinner. Um, we talked about Beloit. She asked me why Beloit. And I said, well, you know, I like the grit and the grind of Beloit. I I sort of like the underdog and I think Beloit's always been sort of an underdog. And I'd like to be part of what you're trying to do, which is to make Beloit a great place for people to live, work, play. My wife and I left dinner and we sort of thought very unlikely would Diane commit to a stadium. And we got a call not soon after that and said, Diane um, is willing to put so much money into a stadium um, I then committed to put so much money into a stadium. And then Dennis and bless his heart, said he'd put so much money into a stadium. ABC Supply Company said they'd put too much, so much money into a stadium. And pretty soon we had about 80 to 90% of the money you need to build a stadium. And so that's, that's what started. Now, the hard part our, for this was when we started it, we did not know about the contraction that was going to be announced in Major League Baseball. So when we went to the winter meetings, expecting my ownership to be approved, it was not approved by the Midwest League. They, they tabled it um, because it got real competitive because, you know, Beloit had a stadium and they'll be in and somebody will be out. So it was it was been a very challenging year for for many people, many people. So but we're excited about Beloit. The one thing you know about Diane Hendricks and the, I don't care who you are, when you talk about Diane Hendricks, here's what you hear. When Diane puts her mind to something, she does it right, and this is going to be. I want this is going to be the this is going to be the Camden Yards type feel of minor league baseball. It's all brick. Which who builds an all brick stadium today? It's going to be spectacular, and the beauty is it's not a big eighty million ballpark. It's a thirty five million ballpark because we wanted to make it intimate. You know, I love the Wrigley Field, the Fenway Park. Um, we did the same thing here. We under underseated Blue Wahoo Stadium at the beginning because I don't like seeing empty seats. So it's going to be an in-demand small ballpark, but it's going to have great player amenities. We believe it'll be the first stadium to meet all the new facility requirements of Major League Baseball 100%. So it's really exciting because we were hoping we'd be with the same franchise era because we don't want to have two type of relationships. So we were thrilled when Morgan Swart told us that Derek Jeter wanted to be in Beloit. And, um, and that's exactly what he, what he said. And so we were just thrilled. We're also very much into diversity. You know, we, we, we very and we're just not talking about it. We're into it. And we love the fact that the Marlins' values seem to match our values very well.
0: And that's uh, something with the new ownership that they very much have, have focused on. And it's been very important. And it, it's cool to see that that alignment between what you guys believe and you know, the Marlins organization as well. But also on a baseball side of things, it makes sense as you explain that because the Marlins in this new ownership under Jeter and Sherman and Bruce Sherman, they have put a huge emphasis on player development. So, of course, those facilities and, and everything that they're going to have in those stadiums, I'm sure, was a huge draw for this Marlins ownership because player development is something that they are very, very invested in. And I didn't realize how state of the art, you know, the stadium is, is set to be and how exciting this could be for Marlins fans because it's it's new. You have a new area to go watch Marlins games if you're traveling all over. And this is a very, very unique opportunity, I think, for the Marlins as well to have new affiliates shake it up and have new opportunities here to have those better facilities, have the updated opportunity for the players. And the farm system is something that they're very, very focused on for you now moving forward into this season. Obviously, there's still quite a bit of unknown, and it's just in the world in general uh, but what do you think the outlook is for this upcoming season in terms of being able to open up the stadium, even in a limited capacity? Do you have any idea on that yet? And do you have any plans to to roll that out as we get there?
1: Yeah, well, a couple of things, too, Aaron, just to real. We um, we also spent half a million dollars on the Blue Wahoo locker, lo- Blue Wahoo locker rooms this year. So Our locker rooms are. Jeff Durant from the head player development for the Marlins was just stunned when he saw the blue Wahoo locker room. It's just, it's just unbelievably outstanding. Um, I, I think the season, you know, you, you know, you play it by ear. They have, one of the questions we just recently were asked is would we still want to play even if no fans could come to our games? Because of course minor league baseball is very dependent on fans. We said yes. Cause see, we don't lay off our employees anyway. So there might as well, here we have college baseball this weekend at the stadium and i don't think we're going to overdraw a ton of fans so we said yes um you know i don't know I, I think baseball will start i don't think major league baseball wants to have another year lost of minor league baseball development you know jack blomberg who's a young shortstop from jamesville craig high school and played at michigan was a fifth round pick the colorado rockies this last year and i know his family in wisconsin and you know poor guy's a fifth round pick and getting getting to play last year with the Rockies. And I don't think they want another lost year. Um, So we've heard things like, you know, you're going to have to feed the fans won't be able to be in the first six rows. However, we've got our higher stadium netted. So we're going to question that a little bit, but we, I think we'll play. I think what I hear makes sense. Major league baseball, will have their major league roster their 40 man roster and their triple A players start spring training close to begin on time as much as it can. Then when they leave the single A and double A ball players will come in. So we're looking at a mid-May type start. And we're, I love the fact that they're talking about, you know, one like six game homestand or five game, you know, one six game homestand and then you travel or five game homestand with two days of travel, So, I think it's going to ease into it. But, you know, Major League Baseball, like us, safety comes first. But I think there's some good things happening right now. The morning's Wall Street Journal has been hitting some pretty good things. I think, you know, the amount of the herd mentality could be kicking in a little bit right now. The vaccines seem to be, you know, we're lucky to be in Florida where our vaccination has been pretty aggressive um, with vaccinations. So, yeah, I think we'll play. I'm excited. We'll do the best we can. But I think 2021 is going to be a tough year again for, you know, when you're limited on revenue, you don't have a schedule, but that's okay. You, you can't look at life just for one year. We look upon it long-term. So we're, we're excited. The other thing we do, Aaron, is we do a lot of cross-promotion. So for example, this year, the Minnesota Twins, every Tuesday, publicized the Airbnb and we gave out, You, if you're a Twins fan, you can enter the contest and we'll fly you to Pensacola to stay in the Airbnb. We see ourselves creating trips for people from Beloit and Pensacola down to Miami to see the major league players. We see offering people in Miami trips to Pensacola, and there's no more beautiful place than Wisconsin in the summer. So for those people, and so we really see a lot of cross promotion between Beloit, Pensacola, and Jacksonville, and, the, and Jupiter, and the Marlins, because we we're, we're all want to be one seamless organization.
0: And that's that's a really cool type of idea to have, because I know for a fact there are a lot of Marlins fans that are very into seeing the prospects play, seeing the future of of baseball for their team. And now it seems to have a little bit more continuity through there where you can go see them play. And that's something that I'm sure fans will be keeping tabs on and be very interested in because I already have had some fans tell me, oh, looks like I'm making a road trip up to Pensacola because they're so excited to see the new stadium and see some of these rising stars in the Marlins org. That was going to be the next question I was going to ask you real quick before we wrap up here was Jacksonville is a different ownership. They were double A for a long time now. They're triple A, but not too far down the road from you all. Do you have any plans? You kind of just touched on it there, but having the two affiliates so close to each other there, how can you use that to, to kind of have some, some cohesiveness there? Do you have, are there any ideas in that regard?
1: Well, I think the neat part is we know Jacksonville well, cause they were in our league. So they've been in our league for nine years. So they know our locker rooms. We know their locker rooms. And you, you want to make it seamless. So certainly you want to create, again, it's all about working on doing things to make it, um, road trips, you know, making it, you can win a win a, an event to go here. You can go there. The other thing it's really important for your radio and media people to connect. So, for example, it'd be, it's really important for like our AA announcer, um, Chris Gargiola, to basically make sure he's interviewing the Jacksonville radio announcer. Hey, how's our players doing here? The Marlin radio announcer. This is where radio, TV, and media people, they're really the conduit of communication. It's, they're the ones that have to be there. And one of the things that excited about the twins is every, once a week on Sundays, they feature the Pensacola Blue Wahoos and they talk about what's going on here. And we see the Marlins would do that same type of thing. The other thing the Marlins have been really cool about is already talking to our radio people to say, when the Wahoos aren't playing and we are, can the Marlin games be on radio up in your area? And the beauty about the new major league operations is we're not going to switch every two years. What we're looking at is a 10-year licensing agreement with the Marlins. And so all of a sudden, when you know you're going to be together for 10 years, you can create things and and build on them every year. So we're very excited about long-term relationship with the Miami Marlins.
0: I can tell you that after listening to this, fans are going to be very excited as well, because again, there is just so much excitement around the farm system and that cohesiveness. And I know the Marlins had been doing some of those exact features too, talking about what's going on in the minor leagues. And as somebody who hosts a show, not just on the Marlins, but also on minor league baseball, I will definitely be looking forward to keeping up with everything that's going on there and and all the players that are going through. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just excited to hopefully have this season underway. And uh, I'm excited to have you as an owner now in this Marlins organization. I know fans are going to be very grateful to have you in that in this Marlins organization as well. I'm grateful for your time today. And this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Mr. Studer. Thank you, Quint for taking the time, because this is a really exciting thing for Marlins fans. And I don't think they're going to realize it until they listen to this interview, because it's a big deal to have the right ownership in their, the new affiliates here in this Marlins organization.
1: Well, thank you very much. You know, not only me, but remember, They can probably win a pink driver because Bubba Watson owns a piece of the Blue Wahoos. They can get to know a Super Bowl champion and a Hall of Famer called Derek Brooks, who's well known in Florida, who owns a little piece of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. So um, we we bring not me, but to have two time master champion as part of this and then have a NFL Hall of Fame player from the play to Florida State, be part of the ownership group, I think is going to be very exciting for people in Miami.
0: Uh, That's just icing on the cake. It's even better. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Looking forward to the season. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Quint Studer, a really impressive man that I definitely came away with a lot from our conversation. Hope you did as well. And I look forward to hopefully interacting with Mr. Studer again in the future as the Marlins hopefully have a long relationship with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos who have long been voted one of the best franchises in all of the minor leagues and the Beloit Snappers who are building a brand new state-of-the-art stadium in a pretty cool spot. I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you soon and we'll have some more analysis as the offseason continues. Hopefully the Marlins will add that bullpen arm sometime soon.